Hey guys, this is Dylan with the Scripture Chronicles, Standard Fanfare. If you guys enjoy the show, please do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. It helps out the show. Also, don't forget to tell your friends or share us on Facebook if you are blessed by the show. If you want to chat, feel free to email us. ScriptureChronicles at gmail.com is the email address. And if you'd like real-time information, the Facebook page, Scripture Chronicles, is the best place for that, we do have a Patreon as well. Thank you to everybody who helps support the show. If you would like to be one of them, you can do that by going to the thebibleisastory.com and clicking on Donate. Thank you, guys, and enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome to The Scripture Chronicles, the podcast where we explore the unified story of the Bible. As per usual, I'm Dylan, and joining me today is the amazing, awesome, and super stupendous Corey Howitt. Corey, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I don't know if I'm flattered for the compliments or bummed for the lack of sarcasm, um, but super stoked for the show today. Sweet. So guys, thank you for tuning into the show today. If you have not yet listened to the episodes preceding this one, I would recommend that you go back and listen to those prior to this one. Each episode does build on itself as we are going through the Bible as a sequential narrative story. Uh, so because of that, it is very beneficial to listen to the episodes in order. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. I, again, would recommend that you do listen to these in order. If, however, you do not have time to listen to these in order, we are going to give you a brief recap, and then we're going to go ahead and segue into our chapters for this week, which is going to be chapters 24 through 26 of Genesis. So with that, let's go ahead and give our recap. Corey, what the heck did we talk about last week? I don't remember at all. Thank you. Yes, so last week... Um, we are coming to the end of Abraham's story and starting the story of Isaac. Now, Isaac has been promised for so many chapters now, and finally we saw Isaac was born, and we're uh, wondering, oh, is this the guy? He had so much um, airtime in the promises before he was born, and then he gets born, but unfortunately, while Isaac gets born, Hagar and Ishmael were sent away. So it's um, kind of a sad thing. But for as far as Isaac and the promised seed go, things were looking really good. Up until the chapter after he's born, where God asks of Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. And um, up to this point, Abraham's been uh, hit or miss when it comes to being tested by God and actually obeying God. Um, and so it's kind of up in the air. Would Abraham um, believe and obey and trust in God? And so he, um, Abraham takes Isaac up Mount Moriah and he brings just him and Isaac up to the very top, ties Isaac to the wood and was about to kill him. But God says, wait. Don't touch the boy. Um, the classic story I'm sure that we're all familiar with. But in that story, we, we saw some cool um, little theological ties to other places in Scripture. And so, again, go, go and check that story out. So we, we talked about some insights into God sparing Isaac, um, but Abraham willing 
to sacrifice his son, willing to sacrifice the thing that was closest to him. So God put him to the test and God said, all right, you, you pass the test. This was Abraham's Garden of Eden moment with the tree of knowledge of good and evil that um, Adam and Eve failed. So Abraham was put to a similar test and he passed. And so now we're, we're looking forward to Isaac, this son who was almost killed off, but God protected him. So we're expecting some great things from this son. Um, but we didn't just leave off there. We actually left off in seeing uh, Sarah, Abraham's wife, buried. And so sad note to end on, but we're hopeful in the promised seed that is coming through Isaac now. Short, concise, and to the point. Yes, that is a fantastic recap of what we've gone over. So the past three episodes, we've kind of been seeing this blessing idea being played out in the life of Abraham. And so Abraham, in the first two episodes of the series, if you can call it a series, we titled those Blessing Under Tension. And the reason being is because Abraham consistently blows it. So a little while ago, we asked the question, is Abraham going to be the guy? You know, the guy from the promise in Genesis 3.15, where God says, hey, woman, there's going to be someone that's going to come from you that's actually going to return you to the ideal state. You know, he's going to beat the serpent and he's going to crush the serpent's head. So is Abraham going to be that guy? We, we've asked that question now of a bunch of different characters. We asked it of Noah. It didn't turn out to be him. We asked it of Abraham. It didn't turn out to be him. And now, more recently, we asked it of Isaac. Is it going to be Isaac? And so that's kind of the question going into today's episode. Is Isaac going to be that guy, you know, the guy who's going to actually vindicate the blessing and actually bring it to its fruition? And Corey kind of gave us potential spoilers last week when he said he thinks it's Jesus. We'll see if that's true. But Abraham basically blew it a bunch of times. We know it's not him. But like Corey said, gets on top of the mountain to sacrifice Isaac. After Isaac's been born, you know, he's been promised and we've waited for him for so long. He's finally born. And then God says, sacrifice him. And so is Abraham going to pass that test? And he does. And lo and behold, God didn't actually want him to sacrifice him. He just wanted him to know that ultimately God is in control of this entire process and it's God's wisdom that Abraham needed to rely on. So that's uh, going to wrap it up for the recap. We're going to jump into today's episode, starting out in Genesis chapter 24. So Isaac is born. Isaac has been up the mountain with Abraham, getting ready to be sacrificed. I can't imagine how that conversation went on the way back down when when Isaac wasn't sacrificed. You know, like, so dad, what was with the knife? Anyway, so uh, we had that story happen. And now most recently, Sarah has passed away and was buried. So Isaac now needs a wife. How is that going to play out? We're going to look to chapter 24 for that. Corey, you want to go ahead? Yes. So chapter 24 is a pretty long chapter with a lot of repetition of events. Uh, so I'm going to do my best to, to sum up some of these events in the story. So it's a pretty famous story as well. And it all starts with Abraham commissioning 
uh, one of his household servants when he was old. When Abraham was old, it says he made an oath. If you're uh, with us last week, you'll remember this word in Hebrew, this sheva. So he made a sheva with his servant. Um, he makes him put his hand under his thigh. I guess that's just the way they you know, made oaths and covenants back then. And he makes this oath saying that the servant would not get a Canaanite wife for Isaac, but the servant must go back to Abraham's home country and bring her back to this land that God has promised to Abraham and his offspring. And there's some back and forth. The, the servant asks, well, what if the woman isn't willing to come back with me? Um, but Abraham says, if the woman isn't willing to come back with you, then you are free from this oath. Um, the, the really important thing um, that's key to note here is that Isaac um, stays here in the promised land and doesn't return to Abraham's home country. And that was something that was really important to Abraham. He says, I'm sending you, my servant, because I do not want Isaac to go back there. Um, we must stay here in the land that God has promised us. It's important not to leave it at this point. Um, and it's important to keep that in mind as we go forward in the story um, to Isaac and beyond. Um, and so the, the fun part of this story is we see the servant go out. Um, and this is uh, down in verse 10. Um, the servant takes 10 of Abraham's camels and sets off to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor, which is Abraham's brother. And the servant prays to Yahweh for success and the sign to show him which woman God has brought Isaac. And so the servant comes up with this plan. He says, all right, Yahweh, I'm going to ask a woman who shows up and say, please let down your jar that I may drink. And she will say, drink, and I will water your camels. By this, I will know you have shown steadfast love to my master. Cool word to keep in mind there for steadfast love in Hebrew is um, chesed. Um, it's going to be another uh, important word in the books to come, especially looking forward to Deuteronomy. So tuck that one away. And so, um, but for the servant, this is a way that Yahweh will show him and his master Abraham his chesed. Yeah, so this story is really cool. It brings out quite a few things that we've already talked about and kind of brings it to a head. So like Corey said, you have this idea where Abraham doesn't want the servant to, ha uh, to get a wife for Isaac from among the Canaanites. Also, he doesn't want Isaac to go back to the land that he originally came from. If we remember back in the story, those two things are actually very important. First off, Abraham was called out of the land that he was originally, so Ur of the Chaldees, the land that he originally lived in. He was called out of that specifically to the promised land because the promised land was going to be the land that he was going to inherit. It would make absolutely no sense then for the blessed son to go back and dwell in the land that Abraham was called out of. Remember a few episodes back, we actually said that in the prophets, Ur of the Chaldees becomes more or less synonymous with the idea of Babylon. So for the promised son to go back to Babylon 
obviously there's a contradiction in terms in a sense, if that, you know, if that transpires. So one of Abraham's biggest, you know, one of his biggest concerns is that his son does not go back to Babylon. Secondly, he doesn't want a wife for his son from among the Canaanites because, you know, blessed be Shem, right? But cursed be Canaan. So we go all the way back to Noah then with this one where the Canaanites are actually cursed. They are not the blessed line because of the sin of their father going all the way back to the story of Noah. So the line of Shem then is the line that we're following and it's the blessed line. So following that blessed line, we need a wife for Isaac from among the blessed line. So there's a lot going on right there. Then moving forward, one other interesting point that I wanted to point out, again, remember, we are looking at the Bible from the standpoint of it being a single unified narrative or story that ultimately points to Christ. Um, So with that, there are narrative elements that we should point out. And whenever these narrative elements pop up that are blatantly obvious, it is very helpful to point them out just so we can stay on track with this idea of reading the scripture as a story, as a narrative. So in this particular narrative, you see the servant being tasked to go and find a wife for Isaac. And what we're going to see is the servant actually going. And when he gets to the location that he is going to then search for a wife, he starts to pray to God. And we actually, as a reader, have a privileged position because we are introduced to the next character, who we're going to see in just a minute, Rebecca, before the servant is. And we're actually given details about Rebecca that lead us to believe, aha, she's the one that he's praying about. But the servant doesn't know that yet. And so we kind of have this privileged position as the reader, knowing events and knowing key details that the characters themselves don't actually know. So then our privileged position allows us to see the servant's aha moment when he finally realizes this woman is going to be the woman. So pay attention to little narrative cues like that or how the authors actually framing the narrative, you know, how is the narrator talking? Who are the characters? Things like that. Those are very important as we read through the Bible as a narrative. Just a little aside on that. Let's go ahead and get back to the story. Yeah, let's go forward. And so we see uh, the servant finish his prayer in verse 14, where he leaves off. By this, I'll know that you have shown, has said to my master, the steadfast love. Verse 15, before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, aside, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. And so if we remember back to chapter 11, we should remember this name, Nahor. So he's probably going to be pretty important to the scene. And verse 16 the young woman was very attractive in appearance. Um, this word for attractive um, is none other than the word we saw back in Genesis 1 and 2 and 3, tov. Um, the word for good, as it's often translated into English. And so this woman was very good to the eye. 
Now, remember the last time we saw something being good to the eye? The first time it happened was when Eve saw that the fruit of knowledge of good and bad was tov, or a delight to the eye. So we should be thinking like, oh, no, this might not be that good. If we're going based off of human wisdom of what is good and bad, or the Hebrew words tov and ra. So we we should have maybe a red flag coming up here. But as the description continues, it calls her a maiden whom no man had known. And she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. And so she's a woman who has remained pure, as we'll see in God's uh, Torah later on in, in some of his commands, you know, not to um, know someone before you're married. So she's kept herself pure. And then as she goes down to fill up her jar, sure enough, the uh, servant went to try what he had prayed out. It's like, all right, well, here's a beautiful young woman. And he did exactly what he prayed out. He says, give me a, uh, would you give me a drink from your jar? And she says, yeah, and I'll give some for your camels as well. And as this all happened, the man was just like amazed. He, in verse 21, it's pretty funny. Uh, you can kind of picture this going down. So after she does everything he prayed for, it says the man gazed at her in silence to learn whether Yahweh had prospered his journey or, or not. It's like, whoa, she's, she's actually doing all that I prayed to Yahweh for him to do. She's doing it. And so when the camels finished drinking, the man pulled out all the stuff for essentially a proposal. He pulled out these gold rings, um, these bracelets for her arms. And he says, please tell me whose daughter are you? Um, and is there room in your father's house? And sure enough, she says, the things that, like what Dylan was saying, the things that we were told as readers, the narrator tells us, oh yeah, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. And so he's like, oh my gosh, this is my master's granddaughter right here. Like th this is perfect. This is exactly what we were hoping for. And she says, sure enough, we have room. I have plenty of food for your camels. I have plenty of food for you. So come, spend the night. And the, the guy is just so stoked. And he's um, blessing God, saying, blessed be Yahweh, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. So just cool ways in which God shows his Chesed, and his faithfulness just by coming through on the things that people have prayed for, even um, servants to Abraham, someone who is um, called and made righteous by God, even a servant of his is being answered by God. And so we see all these cool things. And then again, we have another retelling of the story. So remember, we, we had the, the servant... Um, pray out, okay, God, let this woman do these things. And then we just saw the woman do those things. And then um, he goes and slaps some bracelets on her and says, all right, I'm going to tell you what this is all about in a little bit, but you're going you're gonna to get married. Rebecca takes a servant of Abraham back to her house where she sits down with her father. And Laban, her brother, sees what's going on. 
Um, so Laban, if you're familiar with Jacob's story, he's going to be an important figure to come out. So Laban, again, is Rebekah's brother, and they're going back to Bethuel, her father, and his house. And they um, ask the servant, all right, what's going on? So he tells them the events that just happened. I prayed this, then God did this, and now I'm telling the same to you, right? And so at the end of this really long recounting of all that had happened and all that he had prayed and how he even thanked Yahweh after he had done this, um, I want us to look down at verses 50 and 51. And at the end of all this, Laban and Bethuel answer, I guess, um, in unison, the thing has come from Yahweh. We cannot speak to you bad or good, which again is those same Hebrew words. We cannot speak to you raw or tov. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go and let her be the wife of your master's son as Yahweh has spoken. Okay, so we see that the author is kind of messing with um, the patterns he has set up where something or someone who is delightful in someone's eyes ended up actually being good in Yahweh's eyes too. And um, so he explains to the father and brother, and they're like, well, if it's from Yahweh, they're essentially saying, we'll trust in Yahweh's word and his judgment rather than us trying to um, decipher if this is tov or ra through our own eyes, through our own wisdom. So all of a sudden, we have people um, using wisdom as we wanted Yahweh to have people do it from the very beginning. So all of a sudden, um, this mission is looking really good and really favorable. And all of a sudden, Isaac, he's starting to look like he's set up with an excellent woman of excellent character, not just in beauty. Um, so a woman... Uh, delightful to the eyes and excellent in character. We're thinking, Isaac, wow, um, this could really be the guy. Uh, Dylan, any other um, details to um, hash out here before we look at Isaac's response to all this? I don't think so. Let's go ahead and jump into Isaac's response. All right. So Isaac's response, we're just going to read verses 62 through 67. Dylan, do you want to read from that? Now, Isaac had returned from Be'er Lahai Ro'i and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and he saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself, and the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. All right. Thanks for reading, Dylan. And so we see Isaac um, returning from this well that, remember, uh, Hagar had named um, the well of the God who sees me. And he goes back to the Negev, and we see Isaac, he's out meditating in the field, which is a really good picture. We see Isaac waiting 
and praying to God. And so this seems like a perfect union. And then he goes there and Rebecca and Isaac, their eyes lift up to see each other. And as they're on their way, um, Rebecca's, I don't know if she's like freaking out, getting jitters or, or what it is. It's like, who, who's this man? And she learns that that is her soon-to-be husband. So she covers herself with a veil. And then the servant gets to tell Isaac of all that happened. Um, and I, I think this is so cool that you get to hear, well, for Isaac, he he gets to hear this testimony of his God's faithfulness in getting him a wife, which is such a cool moment. And I had, you know, a similar moment with um, the meeting of my wife and realizing that, oh, God put her in my life to marry. And, and it's such a um, beautiful and amazing um, testimony to go and tell others of the way in which God worked in that. And so it's just this really cool scene. And again, Isaac's character is elevated. He's out meditating in the field. Um, his master gets to tell him of, or sorry, his servant, Isaac's servant gets to tell him of the things that Yahweh had done um, in making this all come together. Like it was clearly Yahweh who orchestrated it all. And so um, he takes Rebecca as his wife and he loved her. So again, there's such a cool picture. Isaac gets to love his wife and Rebecca is a comforter to Isaac after um, Sarah, Isaac's mother, has passed away. So just um, an absolutely beautiful picture. And again, Isaac is just rising in our eyes as readers and thinking like, oh, this could be the guy. And then as we're thinking like, all right, let's learn more about Isaac. We go into the story of Abraham. And so um, before we get into Abraham, Dylan, is there anything else you want to talk about? Yeah, real briefly with this passage as well. Again, we as the readers have a privileged position and we get to watch the characters kind of figure out information that we already know. And so just like before, where we got to see the servant make the aha moment, we already knew that Rebecca was the one based on information that the narrator gave us. And so we're going, well, this this chick probably is the girl. But the servant didn't know that. And so when the servant found it out, we go, see, told you. You know, it, it's cool to watch him be able to make that aha moment. Same sort of thing here. We know something that Isaac doesn't know. And so when Isaac then comes up and goes, who the heck is this? And Rebecca says, who the heck is that? You know, we already know who these characters are. And so we get a witness, you know, them figuring it out themselves. So it's just kind of an interesting literary tool that the author uses that perspective. Uh, so it's something to pay attention to. Secondly, we have already had Sarah's death. And so the text then points out that Rebecca was able to comfort Isaac after his mother, Sarah's death. And so Sarah, the matriarch, has already passed off the scene then. And so Rebecca is actually being set up to take Sarah's place in our minds in the coming narrative. And so that's going to be important as we move into 25 and 26, as these characters who 
we, you know, we already ask, okay, is Abraham the guy? We answered that question with the negative. So Abraham is not the guy. And Sarah, you know, she played a really big role in bringing forth the promised seed, but she is no longer going to actually be a part of this. We're going to be moving forward then into actually seeing how this promise is going to be played out in the life now of Isaac and Rebecca. So that's kind of going to be the framework that we're going to be operating on as we move forward into 25 and 26. So let's go ahead and jump then into chapter 25 and talk about a very negative subject, namely Abraham's death, as well as his other descendants that he has because he did have a few. Yeah, this is something that I feel like a lot of people skip over and not realizing that Abraham had other sons. So we usually just think of Isaac and, oh yeah, there's Ishmael too, um, who he had with Hagar. But after Sarah dies, we see that Abraham took another wife named Keturah, and she bore him actually quite a few sons. She bore him Zimram, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. And then it gets a little bit into some of those sons of Abraham and their sons. Um, what One guy to um, point out here is Midian. Midian is going to be an important character coming up here pretty soon in the narrative of Joseph and throughout Israel's history. So kind of have this idea that um, this wasn't a good thing. Um, these sons are not going to be good to Israel, which is ultimately the line that we're hoping in, the line that we're following. And if they're not good to Israel, then it's not a good thing. And so something important, though, is that in verse 5 of chapter 25, um, Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. Okay, so okay, this doesn't ruin his plans, kind of like how Lot was given free reign to choose from whatever land he saw good. And luckily, um, Lot chose the bad land, and Abraham still got the land that God promised him. But so here, uh, Isaac still gets everything from Abraham, but he still gives some gifts to his other sons. Right, And while Abraham was still alive, interesting, in the second part of verse 6, Abraham sends away all of the other sons away from Isaac eastward to the east country. So remember, after Adam and Eve sin, God puts a cherubim and a flaming sword to the east of the tree. So that kind of gives us the idea that they were put out to the east of the garden. And then after Cain kills his brother, he's sent out east from Eden. So it's like the, the further east you go or anytime you're sent east or something comes from the east, as a theme, it is not good news. And again, we always have exceptions of authors trying to mess with the categories it sets up, um, but they're all sent to the east. And so now we're just hoping they don't come back from the east to hurt things. And then we get into the end of Abraham's life from verses 7 through 11. And it goes on to say, These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age. Again, that word for good is tov. So he died in a tov 
and old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with his wife, Sarah. And after the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Beer Lahai Roy. Okay. And so uh, we have the end of Abraham's life mentioned. Um, are there some important details out of the ending of Abraham's life, Dylan, that we should be picking up? Yeah, there are a few things that we should definitely be picking up on the end of Abraham's life. First off, interesting side, the construction that Abraham dies at a good old age, we already saw that actually is a blessing to Abraham that he would live to a good old age. And we see that in Genesis chapter 15. Moreover, Abraham at the end of his life does in fact present the bulk of the blessing like Corey pointed out to Isaac. So Isaac is still the line that we are following in spite of being confronted with all of Abraham's other offspring. Finally, now Abraham is officially off of the scene, just like what I was saying before with Sarah. Now Abraham and Sarah are both off of the scene, leading the way then to us exploring the line of Isaac. So Isaac is now the patriarch, in a sense, that we are following. So asking the question, is Isaac the guy? We're going to quickly see why that is not the case in the next story in verse 19. So we are focusing on Isaac, and then we're going to be focusing on Isaac's line. So let's go ahead and keep moving forward. Yeah. And in between those two narratives, we have the generations of Ishmael, Ishmael. And remember when we see this phrase, these are the generations of, um, we see a little break and there's 11 of these throughout the book of Genesis. So that we have the generations of Ishmael and the showing of the fulfillment of God's promise to Ishmael that he would be the father of 12 princes, according to their tribes. That happens in verse uh, 16 here. And that was promised back in uh, chapter 17. Um, God talks to Hagar and promises that he will be the father of 12 tribes, kind of like another guy coming up. All right. So we see Ishmael. The last thing we, we hear of him is that he settles opposite of Egypt in the direction of Assyria. And that's like the worst place um, as far as um, locations with theological implications between Egypt and Assyria. It's like, that's just terrible. Um, it's not a, a good, safe, bountiful place. And so we end our story and our interactions with Ishmael. And now we get into the birth story of Esau and Isaac. And in the story of the birth of Esau and Isaac, um, we have um, another case of these are the generations of. In this case, these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. And um, it goes on to talk about this really kind of interesting story where, again, we have a barren woman. And verse 21 says, Isaac prayed to Yahweh for his wife because 
she was barren, just like his mother. And Yahweh granted his prayer, just like his mother. Okay. And Rebecca, his wife, conceives. The children struggled together within her. And she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? And so she went to inquire of Yahweh. And Yahweh says to her that there's two nations in her womb. And these two people within her will be divided. Um, but one will be stronger than the other. And the older will serve the younger. So we have the continued um, kind of uh, opposite of expectation theme of the younger son receiving the blessing. And so this time before anything happens, um, Yahweh ensures her, this is just how it's going to be. Um, just simply because this was Yahweh's choice and that's all we, we have to that. And so um, when it came time for her birth, there are twins in the room. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. And they called his name Esau. And afterward, his brother came out, his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. And Jacob can mean um, a couple of things, which is important to his name. Um, he takes by the heel or he cheats. So this guy is taking people by the heel and likely going to be a liar. Okay, and so we see that Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah bore him his boys. And when the boys grew up, Esau was a skilled hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Okay, um, some really interesting details in this birth story. Um, Dylan, what's important that you see here? So in this birth narrative, we do have a few things that are very important. Like Corey pointed out, we do have the idea of the older serving the younger. And I, I would postulate that the reason for this is the consistent... It, it continues the consistent theme of God being the one who is actually going to ultimately bring the blessing. This blessing cannot and will not be brought by human means. And so whenever we have seen humans try to intervene in this blessing and actually bring it themselves or do something to further it, it has ended poorly, including actually thinking that the older child was going to be the one through which the blessing is going to come. Because in this, you know, th this society, it would have been the oldest child that would be the natural heir. So we would expect the oldest child to be the one that would actually inherit the blessing. However, that's not been the case at all consistently throughout this whole Genesis narrative leading up until this point. And so this area is no different. Once again, we're going to see the blessing go to the younger because they're not the natural or the, they're the one that is selected by God. That being said, like Corey pointed out as well, Jacob, his name, it, you know, it, it means heel grabber or deceiver. Jacob is going to do some things that we as the readers are going to go, huh, that doesn't really seem characteristic of someone who 
is the one that God chose to be blessed. And so we see that, you know, in verse 29, as we keep reading, it says, once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I'm exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright. And so Esau said, I'm about to die. What use is a birthright to me? And so Jacob said, swear it to me now. So he swore it to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went away. Thus Esau despised his birthright. And so we see right here kind of, you know, an image of that trickery or deceiving idea where, you know, Ultimately, Jacob kind of swoops in and swipes the birthright from Esau, even though God had foretold that this was going to be how it was. It still doesn't leave Jacob not culpable. You know, it, it seems as though Jacob conned his brother out of that which should have been his by birth. And so already Jacob is kind of jumping on the scene as a negative character in a sense, even though he is the son of promise, as we saw from above. So he is continuing then this theme of the son of promise first started in Isaac and now continuing into Jacob. But this son of promise has some issues. This again, yeah, some of the the names like we see Edom, he was born red, asked for some of the red stew. So he's called Edom. Edom looks a lot like the word for red, um, hence his name. Um, his name also looks a lot like the word Adam, the first character in scripture, um, or the first human character in scripture. Um, and that's going to be another word play to come um, in one of the minor prophets. So um, a big spoiler way too soon. But yes, yeah, so we, we just have so many word plays. And it's just important to um, keep in mind that names are important and uh, have a bearing on um, the significance to the story. All right, let's go ahead and jump into 26 then, and we'll go ahead and wrap up here. 26 is an interesting chapter in that we're going to continue the theme of recapitulating stories. And by that, I mean, we've already seen a few instances where Isaac and Rebecca's life seem to have mirrored that of Abraham and Sarah. So we saw that Rebecca was barren. Isaac prayed for her, and then she was able to have children, sort of like the story of Sarai being barren and God actually coming and saying, through Abraham and Sarai, I'm going to bring the promised seed. And so we get that idea connected there. Now in chapter 26, we're going to see a very familiar story play out. So let's go ahead and read through it real quick. Starting in 26 verse 1, it says, Now there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. So, you know, there were there was a famine in the days of Abraham, but this is a different one. And Isaac went to Greer, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. Huh, where have we seen that before? This probably won't end well. 
And the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt, dwell in the land of which I shall tell you, sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you for to you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commands, my statutes, and my laws. Okay, so we start out with something very positive. We have a recapitulation of the blessing. Fantastic. And it's because Abraham actually, you know, he believed God, and that is what was accredited to him as righteousness. And so he was able to actually inherit the blessing. Then as a result, he was told that he was going to be a great nation, that he was going to have many offspring, and that all the stars of heaven would not be as numerous as his offspring. So we see that recapitulated. All of the nations of the earth being blessed, we also saw that being promised to Abraham. So again, we're keeping with this theme of the uh, of that which happened to Abraham being recapitulated again in the life of Isaac and Jacob. So moving on to verse six. So Isaac settled in Gerir. Then the men of that place asked him about his wife. He said, she is my sister. For he feared to say my wife, thinking, lest the men of this place should kill me because of Rebecca, because she was attractive in appearance. I'm getting some serious deja vu with this one. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out the window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, behold, she is your wife. You know, he is not going to be tricked twice with the same scheme. How then could you say she's my sister? Isaac said to him, because I thought lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, what is this that you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife and you had have brought guilt upon all of us. So Abimelech warned all the people saying, whoever touches this man's wife will surely be put to death. And Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. And we'll keep moving on in just a second. I want to point out one thing here, and then I'm going to turn it over to Corey to point out whatever he would like in this section. This is very interesting, this section, insofar as once again, we see in Isaac the exact same sin that we saw in Abraham. So of course, Isaac is not the guy. We, we can see that pretty clearly now. But what this does do is it instills in us, the reader, the idea that just as God had been faithful to Abraham in spite of Abraham. So remember, our two episodes entitled Blessing Under Tension, specifically because Abraham consistently blew it. Yet, God was faithful to the promise that he made with Abraham such that he still brought the promised son, even though Abraham was an idiot. Well, again, we can expect that to happen here, even though Isaac blows it in the exact same way that his father does. He struggles with the exact same sin that his father did. We have a recapitulation of the blessing, and then a demonstration of the exact same sin. We can expect 
that just as God had behaved in one way in the past, so too will he behave that way in the future and still be faithful to his promise and bring forth the next blessed seed that will be in line of the ultimate blessed seed that we're expecting from Genesis 3.15. So that is what I think that this section is really trying to hammer into our head. Corey might have some additional things to say on that. So Corey, go ahead. One thought, recapitulation. I'm loving it. That's a $100 word I'm sticking in my back pocket. Um, Besides the fancy words, yeah, it's just so funny. Like this put you in the exact same situation, this time with the same uh, guy, King Abimelech of the Philistines, same guy that Abraham did his last sin like this with and lying about Sarai in uh, that uh, Abraham had done it twice. Um, In that story, too, with Isaac this time, it says, do not go down to Egypt. Because remember, one time um, Abraham went down to Egypt. And one time he went to the Philistines where Abimelech was. Um, This is also going to be important next time there is a famine to see if um, people go down to Egypt because of a famine and see how that treats them. Um, But yeah, and it's also sad to see that Isaac is unable to undo the pattern that Abraham created. And the pattern I'm speaking of is God would bless Abraham and then Abraham would go and sin. So remember chapter 12, God gives Abraham this amazing blessing and then Abraham brings Lot along and he goes and lies to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about his wife. And then God gives him another amazing blessing and he makes the promise with just himself and then uh, Abraham goes and sleeps with Hagar. And so we're thinking, oh, well, the author's already been messing with my categories, like saying that, oh, Rebecca is good to the eyes. Maybe this is going to be another change of my expectations. Nope. Isaac goes right back into the same sin. And the other really bummer part about all this is that um, we've already seen um, Isaac's sons born. And we've already had Jacob cheat his older brother Esau out of his blessing. Right, that was the end of chapter 25. So um, this is like kind of like a really sour note. So after all the emphasis of the promise to Isaac coming, he, he does the same exact thing that Abraham does. It's like, ah, shoot. And it's a two for one because we have um, a sin of Jacob being mentioned before the sin of his father is even mentioned. So yeah, pretty... Pretty low point in the story. And it's just such a bummer to to see these two characters, the two guys in line to possibly be the seed promise in Genesis chapter three. Um, they're both falling. Exactly. And then if we keep reading in the narrative, we are going to see yet another retelling when we see that ultimately Isaac actually becomes, in the words of Abimelech, too powerful because God had actually prospered him, even in spite of his sin. And so when he does that, he's actually forced to move out of there. Uh, And so he moves out, and then there's a quarrel over a well. Again, where have we seen that story before? Again, it is 
a retelling of the exact same story that happened under Abraham, once again told of his son Isaac, for the exact same reason that we've already stated that it is ultimately highlighting the fact that God has been faithful in the past, and he will remain faithful to the promise in the future in spite of these guys. Uh, one other interesting point that we wanted to point out is in verse 34. It says, when Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Bere, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they uh, made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. So the brother of Jacob takes for himself one of the ites to be his wife. And so that's probably going to be problematic as well as indicated by the text. Leaving off on some sour notes here, I'm pretty much wrapped up there. Corey, do you have anything else to add here before we wrap up? I have nothing to add except that this is such a bummer. I, I want my money back from this week. Everything is ending on a bitter note. Isaac is messing up. Jacob already messed up. Esau's messing up. Yeah, no one can get it right in God's eyes. We see, although that people were doing some good things in Yahweh's eyes, and depending on Yahweh from some aspects of wisdom, in the end, these characters that had shown some promise ended up um, going for the same footfall. They ended up going back and doing what is good in their own eyes. Seems like that's consistently the case. We get that glimmer of hope, and then the author just swipes it right out from under us. So thanks a lot, Genesis. I'm going to sleep poorly tonight because of it. Anyway, guys, stay tuned next week for hopefully some good news. We'd like to thank you guys for tuning into today's episode. If you guys do enjoy the podcast, it does help it out if you share it, tell your friends about it, go on to Apple Podcasts or iTunes and leave a review on there, a positive review preferably. That helps out the show's visibility. If you're blessed by it, you want other people to be blessed by it, those ways are the ways to do it. Also, I do want to point out that the show is completely funded by Corey and myself out of our own pockets. There are expenses that come along with doing a podcast. And because of that, if you guys do want to partner with us to keep the show rolling, you can now do that by donating through our Patreon page. You can access that just by going to our website, thebibleisastory.com, and clicking on Donate. Thank you to all those who donate. You guys are amazing. And thank you for helping us out. If you guys have questions, if you guys want to chat, as always, the email address is scripturechronicles at gmail.com. If you would like the most real-time information, the best place for that is the Facebook page, facebook.com. Go to Scripture Chronicles, and that's where you'll find that. Thank you guys again for tuning into the show. Have a great rest of your whatever the stinking heck time of day it is. And as always... Adios. Adios.